0: Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. This week I'm sad because, well, all of the current events going on in the world, but there is one ray of sunshine, and that is I officially graduated from my master's program over the weekend, so now I am a master of the arts, but I'm not going to let that new title get to my head all that much. I still have to apply for a PhD, make it through the PhD process, etc, etc. But yeah, it's pretty nice being a master. Just kidding. I feel exactly the same. So to wrap up this series on the many loves of Louis XIV, and 15th, I'm going to close things out with Madame du Her life seems like a real Cinderella story. We really do go from rags to riches, but then everything epically implodes at the end, by which I mean there will be true amounts of blood, but hey, maybe that's what makes it so much fun. Madame du Berry's study guide has a very scandalous casino, a true birther conspiracy theory, and a revolutionary diamond necklace. Let's begin. The woman who would be known as the Madame du Berry was born August nineteenth, 1743, in Vaucouleurs, France, in the region of Meuse in northeastern France. Her birth name was marie Jeanne Baku. Her mother was a seamstress named Anne Baku who came from a family of servants. According to some historical sources, her grandfather had briefly been married to a lesser noblewoman, but that seems pretty unlikely. It's unclear exactly who marie Jeanne's father was, most of the rumors from her time said that he was a local Francescan monk named Jean-Jacques Gomard who seduced Anne Baku, but that's pretty unlikely given that Gomard and Anne probably wouldn't have ever interacted and that Anne Baku was around 30 when she gave birth, so it's not like she was in a position to be a naive, innocent flower who would have been seduced. Either way, at the time of her birth, Marie-Jean was definitely illegitimate and definitely lower class. At some point between 1747 and 1749, Anne and Marie-Jean move to Paris, probably because Anne felt a little bit too limited by small-town life in Valcoulou. Around this time, Anne may have had another child, this time a son, but the sources are pretty sketchy on this. After moving to Paris, Anne may have gotten married to a servant named Nicolas Rancun, but Once again, we have next to no details on the matter because who cares about the early life of a woman in the 18th century? Despite her very humble beginnings, our young heroine does manage to get an education and she will end up being literate, which is very exciting. She goes to a convent school meant for poor girls, and apparently she and her mother got the funding to go to said convent school from one of her mother's many benefactors, most likely a supplier for the French royal army named Monsieur Billard de Monsieur. After leaving the convent school, at the age of 15, our young heroine takes the name Jeanne Vaubanier, and she will go by the name Jean for most of the rest of her life, so I'm just going to refer to Madame de Berry as Jean throughout the rest of the podcast for convenience sake. Exactly what happens next in Jean's life is up for a bit of debate. A lot of the information about her teenage years comes from people who don't exactly like her, so we do have to take it with some massive grains of salt. She may have learned hairdressing from a young man and then became his mistress until his mother broke them up because she felt that Jean was way too low class, which then led to a whole libel lawsuit and Eugene maybe getting arrested and thrown into prison, but maybe that didn't happen, or she may have gotten a job working as a companion for a widow named Madame de Lagarde, and then have gotten fired from that job because her beauty was causing problems with the widow's sons, but neither of these stories could be true. We honestly don't know. What we do know for certain is that by 1760 or so, Jean is working as a shop assistant at a hat shop called A La Toilette and then at a fashion house. And she's getting a reputation for being quite the beauty. She has great skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, the whole nine yards. However, pretty soon after getting the job at the hat shop, and then the fashion house, Jean started to run into some financial trouble and ended up working at this combo casino slash brothel. Some of the less-than-kind sources said that she was actively working as a prostitute at this time, but there's no hard evidence of this, She most likely was working on the casino side of things officially, but also taking lovers on the side, because that's the best way to get a little cash, to get nice dresses, if you're a lower-class woman in Paris and single in the 18th century. Welcome to capitalism, my friends. While working at this casino-slash-brothel, around 1764, Jean became the mistress of a wealthy nobleman, Jean-Baptiste the Comte du Berry, who gave her the nickname Mademoiselle Lange. While the du Berry family was not exactly the best connected, and did not have the best reputation within Paris, Jean du Berry had tons of money Due to his previous work as a war contractor. And through her relationship to Jean Duberry, Jean soon gets introduced to Parisian high society. And due to her beauty, Jean quickly gets a series of noble lovers, which Duberry is absolutely fine with because. It helps him improve his connections within Parisian society, and he actually may have been the one to set her up with these various lovers and may have been acting as a bit of a pimp for Jean. Some of Jean's lovers at the time included the Duke de Richelieu, who was one of the king's best friends, as well as the king's secretary of the navy. So, yeah. Jean's doing pretty well for herself, and as it turns out, she's kind of into the whole having various noble lovers things, or at the very least isn't actively opposed to it, because as it turns out, she likes having her various lovers buy her fancy dresses and elaborate jewelry, because honestly, who wouldn't be into that? A girl has to survive in the capitalist system, after all. Despite all the lovers she had, Jean never got pregnant and never had children. I did do a little bit of digging, and I couldn't find a reason for why she never had children. And in the various nasty, gossipy rumors about Jean, there was never really any hinting that her lack of children was due to sexually transmitted infections or anything like that. Either Jean really locked down the birth control, or she was just naturally infertile. It seems like we'll never know the answer to that. Jean's life starts to change in 1768, when de Berry takes her to an event at Versailles where she runs into King Louis XV. This little meeting was almost certainly planned by De Berry because if Jean is able to start a sexual relationship with the King of France, it meant that De Berry could get influence over the King. After all, as it turned out, De Berry had previously tried to set up a woman he knew as a mistress for the King but that had failed because the king's beloved mistress, de Pompadour, had been alive at the time. However, the Madame de Pompadour had died since then. She died in 1764, which we learned in the Madame de Pompadour study guide, and ever since her death, the king had been extremely sad and extremely mopey. Since she had died, he hadn't taken a new official royal mistress and instead had just been sleeping with a series of servants and non noble women at one of his chateaus outside of Versailles. But as soon as he meets Jean, Louis XV cheers right up and decides that, yeah, he would like her to be his mistress. Thank you very much. However, since Jean is both unmarried, and aggressively a commoner, she can't be his mistress on aka the official royal mistress. After all, the official royal mistress has to be married, because that's a whole weird thing at Versailles, and more importantly, a noblewoman. But Du Barry isn't going to let that stop him. He has Jean marry his single brother, Guillaume, I'm sure that D'Barry would have had Jean marry him instead, but tragically for everyone, John D'Barry is already married, even though he and his wife, surprise, surprise, are extremely estranged at that point in their lives. Once Jean is married to Duberry's brother, she officially has a noble title and is all set and ready to be the king's mistress. But Du Barry takes things one step further. He also created a fake birth certificate for Jean that made it look like she came from a slightly better family than she did, aka it said that she was in fact legitimate. And so in 1769, Jean joined the royal court at Versailles and became Louis' official mistress. She was 26 years old at the time, and Louis was a young 59. From the get-go, Louis XV adores Jean, and one of the reasons for that is she's really one of the few people who can genuinely cheer up the aging king. One of the big ways she does that is by simply ignoring his rank and treating him like a normal human being, which no one had done before, because hello, he's the king of France, people are supposed to follow strict etiquette around him, treat him like a god, etc, etc, and Jean is like, oh fuck that, I'm going to make fun of you, I'm going to tease you, I'm going to laugh around you, and as it turns out, Louis really likes that. On top of treating the king like a human being, she also just genuine. She also just generally acts naturally, aka ignores most of the strict etiquette of Versailles, and it turns out Louis is super turned on by that. And yes, there's the fact that Madame de Berry is drop dead gorgeous. Even her enemies at court have to admit that she is a looker. So, that also probably helped bring the two together. As soon as Jean becomes the king's mistress, she jumps in to court politics. She joins a faction at court that was really against Louis' minister of foreign affairs, the Duke de Choiseul who had once accused Jean of trying to poison him, and eventually the Duke is sort of pushed out of court completely. That her that whole story is very messy, and sort of gets into some like nitty-gritty of French politics that personally I don't care that much about, so we're just going to gloss over it. What we need to know is Jean and the faction she's behind come out, on top. She also is going to use her relationship with the king to help one of her main allies, the Chancellor de Mapu, to push through some major judicial reforms. So in terms of her political activity and having the king's ear, Jean is going to be very similar to Madame de Pompadour. And remember how the French court at Versailles had hated Madame de Pompadour because of the way she had gotten involved in court politics? Well, they're going to hate Jean even more because she's also involved, but her background is even more humble and more questionable than de Pompadour. So they're feeling like Jean is just Leading Louis around and making him look weak and foolish and like a horny old man who's going to do whatever a former prostitute tells him to do, and yeah, maybe that's true. But we also need to remember that Louis the Fifteenth was a man with agency. He was actively choosing to listen to the suggestions of Jean. We can't completely blame her for all of his mistakes. In addition to getting involved in court politics and drama, as Louis' mistress, Jean also gained a reputation for pushing Louis to be more merciful towards criminals, especially towards poor criminals who had committed more petty crimes. After all, Jean had grown up poor. She recognized how difficult that lifestyle could be and how a difficult lifestyle could cause people to take drastic measures her sympathy towards criminals and her desire to get the king to act merc- mercifully made her stand out from the rest of his mistresses who honestly could not have cared less initially jean started out intervening in cases that didn't directly involve the king like one where a poor woman had been accused of killing a baby who actually was stillborn, Jean stepped in and ensured that the woman wasn't punished at all and was found completely innocent, but eventually she got involved in slightly more high-profile cases. For example, in one case, she even got the king to lessen a sentence from execution to life in prison for two lesser nobles who were accused of treason, but almost certainly were not planning treason. However, despite this kindness, Jane did have a tendency to be extremely extravagant, she liked to live lavishly, and honestly, I can't blame her remember the childhood she had lived in, and now suddenly she's the king's mistress. She has the opportunity to have whatever she wants, and if I were in her shoes, to be totally honest, I probably would do the same thing. Jean became a huge patron of the arts, and as well as commissioning amazing portraits, she also developed a deep love for beautiful clothing and jewelry. Even though Jean had a massive allowance, she got about 300,000 francs a year, which is about 2.1 million dollars in today's money. She was pretty constantly in deep debt due to her love of the finer things in life. In 1770, two years after becoming the king's mistress, Jean's life does take a slight downturn, and that's because Louis's heir and grandson, also named Louis, gets married. His bride is a young Austrian princess whose name should be familiar to us, Marie Antoinette. Jean and Marie Antoinette met for the first time at a dinner for the families the night before the wedding, and things immediately are more than a little awkward. No one is exactly sure if Jean will be allowed to go to the actual wedding ceremony itself. On the one hand, she was super close to the king and he adored her, but she was not married to the king and she was not of noble origin and she had a bad reputation. So her showing up to the wedding of the king's heir and an Austrian princess would kind of be a slap in the face. Louis ends up inviting her anyways, and at the wedding, Jean is dressed way more extravagantly than the rest of the guests because Jean does love herself a pretty dress, and that causes a wee bit of a scandal. Pretty soon, Jean and Marie Antoinette do not get along at all. Marie Antoinette is a bit of a prude and is horrified at the idea of interacting with a woman whose main job is to provide the king with sexual pleasure. And to be fair with Marie Antoinette, it's not like she was naturally a judgmental bitch. She literally had been brought up that way at her mother's court. It gets you the point that Marie Antoinette literally refuses to speak to Jean for two years until 1772, when she finally caves and turns to Jean at an event and says, there are a lot of people at Versailles today. And the relationship between the two starts to thaw a little bit, but it wasn't out of the goodness of Marie Antoinette's heart. It literally was just because she realized she had to get on Jean's good side to get ahead in various court politics. The same year that the relationship between Jean and Marie Antoinette starts to improve, 1772, Louis XV decided that he wanted to buy Jean the most elaborate necklace that existed in Europe at the time. So he starts commissioning a diamond necklace from the Parisian company Bomer and Bassinage this necklace ends up being worth 1,600,000 francs, which is about 33 million dollars today, give or take a few million. And because this necklace is so elaborate and so expensive, it's going to take some time to complete, like a few years to complete. Jean spends the next few years at Versailles, just living her life, getting into spats with the nobility, continuing to be known for both her beauty, her extravagance, and her less-than-great relationship with Marie Antoinette. The year 1774 started out pretty great for Jean. Her and Marie Antoinette's relationship seemed to be improving. She bought Marie Antoinette some diamonds and the princess almost accepted them, which was a pretty big win for Jean. She was having some petty drama with other nobles at the court, but that was pretty par for the course for her. But then, in late April 1774, Louis the Fifteenth caught the smallpox. According to rumors at the court, he had gotten it from a young woman who he had been trying to seduce, slash who Jean had brought to the court for the king to sleep with, although that second bit may or may not have been true. When Louis first found out he got the smallpox, he was like, oh, I'll be fine. That's a disease for children. It will pass. But it did not pass because as it turned out, Louis XV had never actually gotten the smallpox as a young child, which made him basically the only person in France never have had the smallpox as a small child, which meant he did not have an immunity to the smallpox. So he just got sicker and sicker, and he ended up dying of it on May 10th, 1774, at the age of 64. When he died, Jean was away from Versailles because it was improper for her to be present at his deathbed because she was only his mistress, not his wife. Louis XV was succeeded as king by his grandson, Louis XVI. Unlike Louis XV, Louis XVI was extremely uptight and had no interest in taking a mistress, mostly because there were some issues with his genitalia, which is a whole other story. What we need to know is it took him and Marie Antoinette quite a while to have a child, which caused all sorts of drama. Neither Louis XVI nor Marie Antoinette had the best personal relationship with Madame de Berry, and they pretty quickly sent her away from court. Oh, and by the way, that diamond necklace that Louis XV had been planning on giving Jean, yeah, it wasn't finished yet and it was nowhere near being paid for. Basically, at the time of Louis XV's death, Jean was super unpopular both at the court of Versailles and among the general public. She was seen as way too extravagant, spending money, left and right on things that she didn't need and everyone felt like she was literally a whore who had sold herself to the king pretty quickly a ton of pamphlets and memoirs about her life that were totally fake started circulating and spreading terrible rumors about her life and if you want more and if you want more details about that the historian Robert Darton has written fantastic pieces about that. I would highly recommend his book, Forbidden Bestsellers of Pre-Revolutionary France. It's great, and he goes into quite a bit of detail about the memoirs of Madame de Berry specifically. After Louis's death, Jean is first sent to live in a convent even though she has no interest in living in said convent, it's not as bad as it could be, especially because she gets along fairly well with the abbess and the nuns in the convent. However, she soon has to deal with various people who she owed money to and had to start selling off some of her jewelry. But beyond that, her time at the convent was fairly low-key. But By 1775, Jean is done with the convent life. She leaves and instead moves to an estate that Louis XV had bought her, Levisinez. Even though she's out of the convent, she will never return to Versailles. Instead, she will live at her estate through the 1780s and will continue to have a great time. Initially, she continues to keep a high profile and throw some pretty epic parties, but then she realized that maybe it's better to go a little bit more low-key and focus on avoiding scandal. So she shifts into becoming more of a charitable giver, she funded scholarships at a local school of the arts, and focused on trying to improve the lives of local peasants. Some of the things she does are quite useful, such as donating food and money to the peasants. Some of them are really nice ideas, but maybe not so helpful, such as throwing artistic events for the peasants at her estate. I'm sure the peasants enjoyed getting culture, but probably appreciated the food and money more. Jean would also continue to be a patron of the arts and even visited with Voltaire when he returned back to France in 1778. While Jean was focused on trying to avoid scandal as much as possible, she did keep taking lovers, including one of the governors of Paris, Hyacinthe Hu Timolion de Cos, duc de Brissac she also got into a bit of a love triangle between Brissac and a lesser English lord, Henry Seymour. However, Seymour was married with children and pretty quickly broke off his end of the relationship. But then, in 1778, that diamond necklace that Louis XV was planning to give Jean was finally complete. However, given that Louis was Instead, there was no way that Jean was going to be able to own it. She didn't have the funds to pay for it. But the jewelry company needed someone else to buy it. They tried selling it to Louis XVI as a possible gift to Marie Antoinette, but Marie Antoinette had no interest in the necklace because One, it was super expensive, and France was in the middle of a little war with England on the side of these 13 little colonies, and two, more importantly, Marie Antoinette did not want a necklace that was meant to belong to the hated Madame du Barry. So, the jewelry company kept trying to sell the necklace off to various members of rural houses in Europe, but couldn't. All of that changed in 1785. That year, a French cardinal, de Rohan, started an affair with a young woman who may or may not have been a minor noble, Jeanne de la Motte, who actually was a con artist. Jeanne de la Motte convinced the cardinal that she could get him a good position at court by making him friends with the queen she started forging letters from the queen and giving him and giving them to the cardinal and borrowing large amounts of money from him saying that she was giving the money to the queen but actually just pocketing the money in one of the letters she told the cardinal that the queen wanted the diamond necklace the cardinal got the necklace from the jewelers and said that the queen and king would pay the jewelers the remaining sum then the cardinal gave the necklace to jean to give to the queen and said jean and her husband because oh yes the con artist was in fact married took the necklace took it apart and sold the separate pieces and pocketed the money suddenly louis the 16th and marie antoinette got the bill for the necklace which was extremely confusing for both of them Quickly, the truth came out, and in the subsequent trial, the cardinal was acquitted, and the con con artist Jean was branded and sent to prison, although she escaped from said prison extremely quickly. The entire affair of the diamond necklace made the king, and especially the queen, look really bad and like all they cared about was money. And this trial was going on in 1786-1787, right as the country of France is going through some pretty bad famines and economic crises that will eventually lead to a little thing called the French Revolution. And technically, the entire affair had all started because Louis XV wanted to buy a nice present for the Madame du Berry. And this isn't the last time that jewelry is going to cause drama for Madame du Berry. In 1791, a thief steals a huge chunk of her jewelry collection. Even though there's a ton of political drama going on in France, because we're in 1791, deep into the French Revolution, Jean's main priority is trying to retrieve her jewels. Because a girl's gotta eat, after all. As part of her attempt to find her jewels, Jean goes to England, and while she was over there, she starts working with various emigre nobles to try to destabilize the current revolutionary regime and bring back the monarchy, because having the monarchy in power, honestly, is better for Jean than having some rando non-nobles who are trying to get rid of titles and things like that. As a result, Jean starts moving between France and England on the regular. Then, in September 1792, her former lover, Brissac is executed by the Committee of Public Safety for being anti-revolutionary. Apparently, his head is brought to Jean at her estate for reasons, and when she is shown his head, she faints. Then, a few months later, in January 1793, her trips out of the country finally get the attention of the French authorities, even though they've been going on for over a year at this point, and the French authorities aren't exactly thrilled about that. Pretty soon, she gets arrested and gets sent to prison for being counter Revolutionary. By March 1793, Jean is in the Saint Colleger prison in Paris with other female counter revolutionaries. During her time in prison, Jean is frankly in denial about how bad her situation is. She's convinced that she could bribe her way out and use her previous connections from her time at Versailles to get out of prison and that's really not happening because most of her connections are, well, dead. However, the longer she's in prison, the more and more hysterical she became. In December, she got moved to the concierge prison in Paris, which was where most prisoners were sent before their execution, and that's when Jean realizes that things are going to get pretty bad for her. On December 7th, Jean has a trial, in massive air quotes, and not surprisingly, she was found guilty of working against the new regime and was sentenced to death via guillotine. When the verdict was read out, she fainted in the middle of the court. The next morning, when the executioner came in to help her get ready, which included cutting her beautiful hair so it wouldn't get caught in the guillotine, she told him that she wanted to meet with the Committee of Public Safety. Jean had a plan, aka she would disclose the location of all of her jewelry in exchange for not being executed. Jean ended up writing out an entire list of all of her surviving jewels and their locations, but shockingly, the Committee of Public Safety wasn't exactly interested in this exchange and ordered her execution anyways. On the way to the guillotine, Jean had a complete breakdown. While most nobles prided themselves in facing the guillotine with poise and dignity, she just sobbed and begged to be let free. This really shocked the massive crowd that had gathered to see her die. Remember, she was not exactly a popular figure with the general population, and pretty soon the mob that had gathered turned from jeering at her to being almost sympathetic. Jean Madame de Berry was executed via guillotine, on December 8, 1793, in Paris at the age of 50. Her last words were, One more moment, Mr. Executioner, I beg you. After her execution, she was buried in the Madeleine Cemetery, which was the burying place for most of the nobles who were executed during the reign of terror. So, For those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's quickly recap the life of Madame du Barry. Madame du Barry was born in 1743 in a small town in northeastern France. She was the illegitimate daughter of a seamstress named Anne Bacou. At some point in her early childhood, she and her mother moved to Paris, and the young Madame du Barry got an education at a convent school. At age 15, she left the convent school and took on the name Jean. Exactly what happened after she left the school is up for debate, but she eventually started working at a hat shop and then a fashion house. Around this time, she started getting recognized for her extreme beauty, but ran into financial trouble and began working at a casino slash brothel. During her time at this casino-slash-brothel, she ended up becoming the mistress of a wealthy but extremely sketchy nobleman, John the, the Comte du Barry. Through Jean, she became introduced to Parisian high society and started taking on a series of noble lovers, which du Barry was fine with and most likely encouraged. In 1768, Du Barry took her to an event at Versailles and almost certainly set up a meeting between Jean and Louis XV so that Du Barry could try to get more influence at the court. Louis, who was still in mourning over the death of his favorite, Madame de Pompadour, instantly fell in love with the young and beautiful Jean. He wanted to make her his mistress, but since Jean was neither a noble nor married, Deberry had to quickly set up a marriage between Jean and his little brother. By 1769, Jean joined the royal court and officially became Louis' mistress at the age of 26. As Louis's mistress, Jean was known for being extremely extravagant, for getting involved with petty court drama, for Ignoring the various strict etiquette of Versailles, which in some ways was really good because it cheered up the king, but also made her many enemies at court, and for pushing the king to be more merciful towards criminals, which is fairly rad and something that none of his other mistresses had done. However, she quickly made an enemy of. Marie Antoinette, the wife of Louis' heir, the two never got along. In 1772, Louis decided that he wanted to buy Jean the most elaborate and expensive necklace in all of Europe, which was a diamond necklace that was worth around $33 million in today's money. However, the necklace was not completed at the time of Louis's death in may seventeen seventy four After Louis died, his heir, Louis the Sixteenth more or less kicked Jean out of Versailles. Jean first lived in a convent for about a year and then to an estate of her own. At her estate, Jean started by living life pretty epically, continuing to be quite the scandalous figure before settling down and becoming known for her patronage of the arts and for her charitable giving, although she would continue to have more than a few lovers. In 1778, the diamond necklace that Jean had been promised was finally completed, although by now Jean did not have the funds to buy it. The jewelers who made the necklace tried to give it to Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, but they had no interest in it. Instead, this young con artist, Jean de la Motte, convinced a gullible cardinal to buy it and then give it to the king and queen of France, which he did, which caused a whole scandal in the 1780s, which kind of led to the French Revolution, not directly, but it really hurt the king and queen's reputation, and Jean was more than a little caught up in it because the necklace, after all, had initially been made for her. Although Jean was pretty much laying low throughout the 1780s and early 1790s, she still was an unpopular figure due to her reputation for extravagance and the fact that she had initially been a commoner who had climbed up to become the king's mistress. No one liked her all that much. In 1791, as the French Revolution was kicking off, a bunch of Jean's jewels got stolen and she decided she was going to get them back no matter what. As one of the ways to get them back, she began traveling between France and England, which caught the attention of the new governmental regime. Pretty quickly, Jean was accused of being a counter-revolutionary, which to be fair, she almost certainly was, and arrested. In December 1793, Jean was put on trial and almost immediately found guilty. She was executed on December 8th, 1793. Unlike most of the other nobles who were executed in the Reign of Terror, Jean did not face her death with dignity. Instead, she sobbed and begged for her life as she was carried up to the guillotine, which actually made the crowd somewhat pity her. So, that is the life of Jean, the Madame de Berry. Like I said at the start of the episode, it really has its lows, its highs, and it's Lowe's once again. Most of my research for this episode came from the Encyclopedia Britannica articles on Madame de Berry and on the affair of the diamond necklace, Melanie Clegg's article on Madame de Berry, Haley Sou's article on Madame de Berry, and Robert B. Douglas's excellent book, The Life and Times of Madame de Berry. As always, for a full bibliography and relevant images, you can visit the website sadgirlstudyguides.com. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. Next time, I'm going to be starting a new study guide series about the Harlem Renaissance, specifically the women creators involved in the Harlem Renaissance, kicking off with author and editor Jessie Fawcett. Until then, if you want to financially support the podcast, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Guide. Patrons get a lot of cool bonuses, including bi-weekly tangent casts on people, places, or things that don't quite but don't quite make it into the usual study guide. So yeah, check that out. Your financial support means a ton to the podcast. And if you want to chat on social media, you can reach us on Twitter at sadgirlstudypod Study Pod or on Instagram at SadgirlStudy. As always, the best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend. Or subscribe or on Apple Podcast, Stitcher and Spotify, and please let us know how you're doing. Rate or review, or else I'll be sad. Thanks!